coming up in this episode of Finding Common Ground. The silos are breaking down. And one of the reasons I think is because people are finding common ground when they see successes. We want to be careful of uh, uh, telling people that their dreams can't be accomplished because if it wasn't for for some of these dreams, we uh, we might still be using horse and buggy. Now, Bill, $100 is good, but I'm going to pay a little more because I want to be in first class. I want to be the good-looking black man. I want to be in first class. There are two sides to every coin. How do we deal with racial issues when they affect relationships? Finding common ground on all those issues that we come against. There's black and there's white. And I think as Christians, we have to learn how to get together because we're not in heaven. I've met more interesting people just by God just bringing them in. Republicans and Democrats. But a lot of times when it comes to race and it comes to culture and it comes to perception, even as Christians, we don't always understand. We look at it through our lenses. There's Bill. I grew up in a suburb of Cleveland called Parma. Uh, Any black the, people in Parma? There was not one. Not one black person, not Bill? Not one. Come not on, Bill, one. you got to have one, a nope. token black person, a token. And there's Odell. I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, public housing, single mom, divorced single mom with four kids, and I came up through segregation and all that kind of stuff. If a black person drove through the town, the police would stop and escort them out. Bill and Odell are finding common ground. A part of what we have to do is listen to each other, find the common ground, and question, not questioning you like you're on a witness stand, but questioning you for a better understanding. Father God, we just come to you just saying thank you for grace and mercy. Thank you for jobs, per capita, income increasing. Thank you for opportunity. Everyone doesn't have opportunity. Everyone doesn't get opportunity. God, the word says that you are the only one who give us wealth and bless us with wealth. So we thank you for blessing our city. Thank you for blessing our country. Thank you for just blessing all of us so we could come together as one to do the good thing to help everyone. We pray and we believe. Amen. 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 Dear Heavenly Father, we just lift up our guests today, uh, Paul Mangert and Kevin Baker. Uh, significant businessmen in our area that you brought in and the visions they have to help our community with, uh, with our aviation uh, organizations in town. Lord, uh, we thank you for their gifts. We ask you for blessings on their families and on their work and uh, give them safety as they travel about. Amen. Amen. Hey, Odell, how you doing? Bill, you know, I'm doing fine. Uh, our guest today remind me of a movie I saw back in 2004 called Soul Plane. I don't know, Bill, you ever heard of Soul Plane before? No, I have not. It's it a sounds- Black-owned airline, Bill. Black-owned and Black-run airline. And some of the actors are Kevin Hart. He was the millionaire guy who owned the plane. And you had Snoop Dogg, who, who was the pilot. And of course, oh you know, goodness. he was in the cockpit uh, smoking blunts. And then you had Tom Arnold as part of the cast also. And it's just interesting. And now when we sit here and we think about Boom Supersonics and all the exciting things that's coming to the triad, I just feel good. I feel good about it because guess what? The good looking black man, Bill, going to be sitting in the plane four hours. I could get anywhere in the world in four hours, Bill. Think about that. I'll tell you what, where would you go first? Where would you go first? I don't know. I have to go someplace where they're not going to see a good looking black man and customs give me some problems. So, you know, I got to kind of see. Let me tell you what black people do, Bill. 
We're careful what state we move in, what community we move in, because we have to do like that radar thing is like, okay, do we really want to go into certain parts of the South and live in a big old giant house with our neighbors who may be living in trailers, flying certain type of flags all around us? And maybe they, they saw a religious bill, they might decide to bless us with burning a cross in our front yard. We don't want that bill. <laughs> Jeez, I hope not. I hope not. Well, I, I know where you're going to fly first. Where's that? Wherever Beverly tells you. Yeah, you know, the romantic type of guy I am, she might say, let's just fly to Paris. So if I can get to Paris in four hours and back, that's going to be a big deal. You know? I've, seen, I've seen her shop in Paris. She's very, very successful and very determined on what she wants and what she, how to get it. Hey, listen, the Louis Vuitton store never go out of business. If we can fly to the ones in Paris and she can stop, hey, we know we never go out of business. <laughs> yeah, there's some bags that I remember you were the you were carrying a lot of bags. I remember when you came back from the shopping trip, Dory and I were waiting, uh, sitting outside a little French restaurant and having a glass of wine. And here comes Odell. Bev wasn't carrying a thing, but Odell had he I couldn't see at first because he had so many bags. Well, we, we'll leave that alone. But anytime you're married to a vice president of a hospital and everything, Bill, I'm just a kept man. What can I say? I'm just a kept man. <laughs> I'd like to know. Bill, what tell me about our guest today, because, of sure. course, this is not Soul Plane. Of course, we're not going to do the purple plane and everything. And I wonder, I need to ask them if they ever seen the movie Soul Plane. That would be interesting to know. Yeah, I hear you. The, uh, we've got two great guests. Uh, the first one is uh, Paul Mangert. And Paul is a business property management person. He has a company that does that for homeowners associations and condo associations. And he's chairman of the board of the Piedmont Triad Airport Authority, which he'll we'll explain a little bit about that. And then Kevin Baker is a civil engineer for about 20 years. And he worked uh, uh, for a very large company, Michael Baker, no, no, uh, no, no relative. And, uh, but he used to work on air, airports, so he helped. Uh, he got involved when the FedEx hub came here, and uh, I guess they liked him, so they kept him. So uh, he is, uh, and he's gone around and done a great job for our community. And uh, I don't know where he came from originally. We'll have to ask him that as we get into it. But Kevin and Paul, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us here. I think the first thing is, Paul, are you a local native to Greensboro? Um. My parents moved here when I was in the fourth grade, so I have claimed it as my uh, my hometown. Yeah, as you should, as you should. And Kevin, you? Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, ah. until 1998 when I moved here. Steeler fan. You got it. Yeah. Is you there get, any other? You got to get. There's no other team. <laughs> you know, one of the things that we want to say, I want to say to these two gentlemen, thank you. Because a lot of times people don't know the good work that you all are doing and how much jobs you all create how you increase the per capita income. Because as you know, our economy went from tobacco, textiles, furniture, and now we're, we're doing all kinds of great things. So I just want to say to both of you gentlemen, thank you. Thank you. Because it's always a, what when I was in business school, we call it the halo effect, how so many other businesses and entities are going to come because of boom and all the other great things you are doing. So I'm just going to be quiet. I know that's hard for me to do. And I'm excited about all the great things you are doing because a lot of people look for jobs, Bill, but they don't know how deals are brought together and how jobs are created. They just said, hey, I need a job. Well, 
These two gentlemen are part of the solution on how everything happened. So take it away, Bill. We're going to get them to talk about how they uh, took a little tiny airport and developed it into a a hub for making airplanes, uh, repairing airplanes, and going to be, it's a garden spot for aviation, quite frankly. And it was a vision that started many years ago. And I I echo what you said, Odell. Thank you. You folks are... uh, are doing a great thing for our community, bringing jobs uh, and and helping the community. It's amazing the things they've done. They actually built a bridge and air, that airplanes go on. It wasn't connected to any roads because they had the vision that they were going to get someone to come in and build and use that bridge. We'll talk about that. Paul, tell us about um, the airport authority. What's its role? What does it do? And how you came to be on it? Well, first of all, uh, Thank you for having us uh, today. It's an honor and privilege uh, to be with you, and we're always uh, happy to share the story of of our airport. Um, I was appointed to uh, serve on the board by the Greensboro uh, City Council, and one of the unique things about our airport is the uh, fact that it's a a regional airport uh, made up of uh, a board from uh, the city of Greensboro, the city of High Point, the city of Winston-Salem, as well as Guilford and Forsyth County, uh, all those governing uh, bodies appoint representatives to this board. And not only do we serve those uh, three cities and two counties, uh, but we also serve really the region. And we attract uh, not only passengers uh, from a wide corridor of Central North Carolina, but we uh, we also attract employees uh, from these surrounding counties. So when we uh, have an opportunity to uh, compete for a aerospace company, uh, they're not just looking at Greensboro or Greensboro, Winston Salem, High Point. Uh, they're looking at our uh, multi-county area. So we are very mindful of one of our strategic advantages uh, that we have against many other uh, airports is the uh, workforce uh, that we have from this this region. And not only the workforce, uh, but also the educational institutions that are in this area that are not only engaged, but ready to be engaged in the aerospace industry. Uh, So it's a a unique uh, set of qualifications Uh, when put together with the vision uh, that those who have come before us at the airport have acquired the land for expansion, put together with the workforce and the educational opportunities, we are very uniquely qualified. Is there any other place in the country that has that unique qualification that you can think of? I think we're uniquely, uh, I think we're uniquely qualified. And I think that seeing companies, uh, you know, like uh, Boom and uh, Hayco and Cessna and Honda and other aerospace uh, companies that would obviously have broad choices of where they could go. When you see them choosing uh, the triad, I think it speaks to answer your question. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And folks, Hayco is a major airplane repair uh, and refurbication center in Greensboro. We'll let Kevin talk about the square footage and how many hangars they've got. And then Boom is the new supersonic, the, the replacement for the Concorde Plus uh, that they're going to be manufacturing here in Greensboro. And we'll let them also talk about that. 
Thank you, Paul. I appreciate that. Kevin, tell us how you got on uh, in, in your position and what do you do? Um, yeah, so a, a bit of a story. I, I was a consultant, as you mentioned, um, for a, a civil engineering consulting firm and uh, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which is where I was born, and um, got involved with this airport through the FedEx project as a consultant. Our company uh, basically led that project on behalf of the airport authority and uh, just really, really enjoyed the team here uh, from the board through all the staff at that time, even as a consultant. And um, through a long story, uh, when Ted Johnson, my predecessor, was getting uh, near his retirement, um, he kind of recruited me to come on and, and take over for him. And, um, you know, I, I really think that um, my personal story kind of underscores really, um, you know, th this airport. It is unique. It is very unique to Paul's point. And I, I don't think you can find an airport with the same set of assets. And when we talk about that, I mean, we have two long parallel runways plus a crosswind runway. You've got service that is, you know, while it's not a hub, it, we certainly have really uh, good service uh, to most of the world. You can be in 260 some cities and on two airplanes. Uh, that's great service. You've got a, a an economy that is terrific here. You've got, you know, it's a low cost of living. It's a low cost of doing business. You've got an interstate system that I would put up against any in the country, really. Um, you know, you, you've got uh, land on the airport that thanks to our, our predecessors who started that decades ago, acquiring land. Um, and the companies all need that land. Obviously, you, you need to have large expanses of land. You asked, you know, about uh, Honda and Heiko, and th these companies are occupying hundreds of acres and, and have, you know, in some cases, over a million square feet of buildings. Um, but back to, to, to my story, um, you know, really, the, when Ted asked me to do that, I was moving up in that company. And I, frankly, I had my eye at the, the, the top spot all, all along. And it was kind of well known. So it was kind of a lateral move for me to do this. But mm -hmm. to me, I did it because of the fact that you could see the assets that this airport had and the future that it was going to have. And I had just finished um, leading the Honda project for Ted as a consultant. And I got this, I got bit by this economic development bug. And when you, the way I like to say it is if you're ever even playing a small part in the creation of a job for a community that you love to be in, there's a, there's a satisfaction to that that you can't put money or anything else to. So, um, you know, I, I think that that, that is what really led to, uh, my interest in, in this place. And, you know, the board is a, uh, it, this, the board is sort of like the board of a small business. Um, and they're, they're always, and this goes all the way back to when I first came here. It has always been made up of professional individuals who come together to, uh, to support the airport and leave any personal desires or angles at home. And it's a, it's just a great place and a great team uh, to be around. I'd say you're a highly functional board by the results we're seeing. Uh, yes. And it's a good group of people. You know, just to give uh, our audience some context, some dimensions, uh, how many acres do we have that are available for development? So altogether on the airport, there's about 4,000 acres, 4,200 acres, I think, is the total campus now. And we have probably right at 1,200 acres that are available, um, 65 of which just got taken up by a boom, as you've been, been reading about, but there's still you know, well over a thousand acres that are left 
And, and the way that it has been set up, you know, the way that we've planned this thing sort of over the last 10 years or so in terms of being purposefully ready for, um, uh, for large projects like this one was to have the sites be very flexible so that if you have 10 companies that come in and need 100 acres, we've got that. If you've got 20 who need 50 acres, we've got that. If you've got one who needs 500 acres, we've got that. So flexibility is absolutely a key for, for, uh, for our land. Yeah. And all, just to give them another set of context, what does Boeing have that makes jets out in California? Is it Washington or Spokane where they make the jets? Yeah. You know, I cannot quote to you what their total, because they actually are operating on three or four different airports out there. One is Boeing Airfield, one in Renton, one in Everett. So I don't know, you know, the total amount of, of land that they have. I can tell you that their main production building, I think, is four million square feet. The, the made wow. the biggest, it's the biggest wow. by volume, I think, in the world. Um, but I don't know any of the details. Well, that that, that four million square feet would fit in your your plots of land that you have. It would. Easily. It absolutely would. Yeah. So it gives you some dimension, folks, of how much land we have yet to develop and some things that are going to be coming in. The other thing that I know we have is we have a community college that has started aviation training and uh, recruiting kids to come into that. And you're partnering with them. I think uh, uh, Heiko is and a couple other folks. Yeah, that, that's right. Um, you know, the, the GTCC and really Forsyth Tech now and some of the other community colleges in the other counties are absolutely the crown jewel for us to be able to lure companies. Because while incentives are important, while a site is important, all of that stuff is important. Mm-hmm. The one thing that they're all going to tell you is that if they don't have the employees, then they can't operate. Um, and GTCC uh, and the others have been, uh, you know, have been filling a pipeline of aerospace employees now since the late 1980s. And they partner with these companies, with Heiko, with Honda, um, with Textron, and I'm sure now with Boom, uh, to create really specialized programs to do whatever, whatever it is that those companies need students and new employees to do. They're an absolute, um, uh, hugely important part, partner yeah, to us. Paul, yeah. You might want to expand on that. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, one of the exciting things about uh, Boom is that they announced the uh, internship program that they will have uh, to attract not only from the triad, but all over the all over the state. So they're, the, the educational uh, component in North Carolina is a big uh, is a big factor, and I think it's uh, you know one of the things that we've been able to uh, do is to uh, really form a consensus at the state level of supporting uh, projects like Boom, where we've been able to uh, bring together funding uh, from the. Uh, legislature and the governor's office and the economic development and uh, being able to have all of uh, all of the governmental uh, parts of this sign on to these projects uh, because you know certainly other states wanted uh, projects like boom and were willing to be very competitive uh, but the uh, North Carolina's response so it wasn't just a triad response but really a a statewide response, and we're very grateful uh, to the legislature and the governor's office and staff and appointees for um, all working very hard toward making this uh, making this happen. And I think there's a 
a desire to uh, provide the economic uh, educational opportunities. Uh, so there's been a lot of people get on board with the with the mission that we have. Yeah, that's great. And, and Paul, can you explain what a boom is? Because I'm sure people know, what is boom? Well, I didn't name the company. Uh, <laughs> so when I'm referring to boom, I'm referring to boom supersonic, uh, which uh, is the company that's announced they'll be manufacturing their supersonic uh, airplane uh, at PTI. And I think the, uh, the name of the first actual plane is the Overture. Uh, so this is a plane that will fly at speeds uh, uh, faster than sound, which as I think most people know, when you uh, cross that sound barrier, you get a, uh, a noise described as a boom, a sonic boom. Um, so I think that's probably where they got the name from, but I certainly wasn't part of the naming process. Um, but I, I, Bill, it kind of leads me to commenting um, on the boom part of this, uh, which one of the questions we've received and understandably so is, are we gonna be hearing these uh, booms? And the, the company has announced and it's consistent with FAA policy that the booms have to take place over uh, the oceans. They uh, it's why it's a transcontinental aircraft that would, you know, is envisioned to fly like New York to London uh, routes and maybe Los Angeles to Tokyo, where the supersonic speeds are realized over open waters, not over, uh, not over the approach path to uh, PTI. Yeah, that, that's a big deal because we don't want to hear a lot of booms. But uh, yeah, well, in, in fact, Bill, what we've been what we've been told, what the reports indicate is that the, the aircraft when flying at less than supersonic speeds uh, will be putting out less noise than a lot of other aircraft because it is a modern aircraft. And what, what has happened in the aviation world is the sound that uh, planes make, the newer model planes typically make less noise than the older uh, generation of aircraft. So uh, I certainly won't say it won't make any noise, but it won't make a, the noise of planes that were manufactured in the uh, 60s, 70s, and 80s um, on a typical basis. Yeah. And in, in the fuel they're using, they're using a biograde fuel. Is that, that something I read? Yeah, Kevin may be able to speak to the details more, more but I know the uh, conceptually, uh, the uh, company is very concerned about uh, the environment and their pledge is to uh, produce as much as possible a, a carbon neutral uh, airplane. And Kevin, I don't know if you can elaborate on some of the specifics, but I know that's the that's the goal. I, I think you covered it. I mean, that, that's the case. It's fantastic. And, you know, Bill, I mentioned to you earlier that um, when we were setting this up that, you know, I can't exactly explain how they think they're going to accomplish their vision. I don't know that they know how they can accomplish their vision, but, you know, those who can't dream of big things can't accomplish them. So I, I certainly commend them for having the vision and foresight to be trying to accomplish these things. And, you know, hopefully they'll get there. Yeah. And, you know, they already have contracts with the U.S. Air Force and is it United? Um, yeah, yeah, United and uh, Japan Airlines. And I think the Air Force is uh, a collaboration on the technology. And 
I may not be saying that exactly right, because remember, they're going to be, in essence, our tenant. So uh, we don't necessarily get into all the details of how they operate and what their research and patents may be. But my understanding is they're working on developing technology uh, with the Air Force, so uh, or the Air Force is working with them. So it's a uh, it's, it's certainly a large undertaking. Yeah, it is. And and you, we talked earlier before we started taping. Uh, you you brought the analogy. What fifteen years ago we never thought we'd have uh, on our wrist a phone, and now we do. Yeah. So you, we, we certainly uh, we want to be uh, we want to be careful of uh, uh, telling people that their dreams can't be accomplished because if it wasn't for for some of these dreams, we. Uh, we might still be using horse and buggy because I think there was a time when no one thought it was possible that you could have a, a motor push a, a vehicle better than a horse. Yeah. Yeah. That, that they didn't think outside the box. Hey, Kevin, I'm going to, I'd like you to talk about Honda that's here and uh, what they're doing with the jet. Some of the audience may not even know that Honda makes jet airplanes. Yeah. Well, I think this goes back to, to Paul's, Paul's last point. Um, once again, innovation, that was born here, basically, and you know that uh, Michimasa Fujino started the uh, the Honda aviation business uh, in a small hangar here in right right around the turn of the century, and um, you know developed a prototype that they flew then I think for the first time in '03 and took to Oshkosh and some other places in '05 and decided that they want to wanted to enter. The, the very light jet market, and they did so and decided that, that they wanted to construct their manufacturing location right here on the airport, and they, they occupy about 130 acres and have uh, multiple hundreds of thousands of square feet. I think it's about 600,000 square feet um, of manufacturing space where they manufacture and maintain Honda jets. They're all, every single Honda jet is manufactured right here. Yeah. They're employing probably 1,500 to 2,000 people in our community, and these are great jobs. These are high-paying jobs. They're aerospace engineers. The CEO of the company lives here, of course. Um, so these are the kinds of jobs that the airport is uh, really interested in finding because it, even right now, there are 8,600 people who work on the airport, and the average salary here is probably between sixty-five dollars and $70,000 now today. The average household income within about a 35-mile radius of us right now is about fifty-one dollars or $52,000. So, and remember, that could be two earners, right, in an average household. So here, you have a single earner making fully 120 125% of average household income. So the message is these are good jobs, not just a lot of jobs, but a lot of good, high-paying jobs that bring the average household income of our community up. That's the kind of jobs we want to have, and, and Honda is just the... Yeah, they were the first manufacturer to locate here. Now we have, boom, we have two aircraft that are going to be born on this airport. And I find that really cool. That is cool. You know, and Honda, they're, they're a good corporate citizen as well. They, I'm, I'm a volunteer with the Boy Scouts, and I used to be president of the council here. And they would do a merit badge, uh, aviation merit badge, and bring we'd bring the kids out there. You know, they, they'd let them go through the simulator. they let them see the planes. And then they would let us on the back of a hangar uh, we, we played top gun in a big old hangar and they made popcorn for the kids and the kids camped out in the hangar. That's great. Isn't that great? And they really are there. Even as a partner to us, 
Um, we have a run on the runway each year, which is to uh, th- which benefits the local food banks. And actually, Paul has been the chairman of that. Now, our, our board member, Chris Dunbar, is the chairman of it. And, and I'll let Paul talk about it. We'll get a, a shameless commercial in here. But Honda has been <laughs> a, a constant and continual supporter of ours for that. But Paul, why don't you tell them about the run? Yeah, the 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 airport has uh, you know two main missions really. One is uh, providing facilities for transportation for the triad and surrounding counties, and the second is as a economic uh, engine for the community. But as part of this mission, we we really um, recognize that we live in a community where we need to be part of the community, not just a bunch of uh, folks about airplanes. So uh, beginning about 10 years ago, uh, we put on a run on the runway, uh, which began sponsoring the uh, area food banks. And we've had a uh, a goal of raising $100,000 a year uh, for the food banks, which is one of their uh, larger donations. Uh, from a from a single source uh, for the uh, Greensboro High Point and Winston Salem food banks. Um, so a couple of things I'll say about that. One is we invite the general public and runners out on the runway this year. It's March 26th um, to uh, kind of see the airport up close and in personal from a different angle than you normally get to see it. Um, and this year, the starting line of the race will be very near where the boom facility will be built. So we're excited about being able to show people kind of up close where boom will, uh, where boom will be. Uh, but it, it gives these, uh, it gives uh, us a chance to welcome the community on the, onto the runway. And at the same time to uh, make a commitment to those who are less fortunate or in need in our community, which is really important to us. And, uh, many of our airport partners join us in you know, sponsoring this event. And for in, in recent years, at least, uh, I'm most proud of the fact that uh, every single employee of the airport authority has made some contribution to this effort. So it's really part of our fabric about being in the community and um, just really want to give special thanks to our uh, to this year's chairman, um, Chris Dunbar, who's done a great job of leading the, the effort, um, but also to all the airport employees that participate. And I, I really have to tell you guys also, this is so, uh, I mean, it's kind of part of the character of what we, what we do, uh, because while the land is important to attracting companies like Boom and the uh, educational system and the state money, all of these things are important, but without the people, to deliver this, we would be nothing. So the uh, the great work that Kevin and uh, his team uh, does in uh, being able to um, you know, put these kind of programs together, you have no idea of how many, you know, drawings and sketches and conceptual this and that, that when a company like Boom wants to consider coming here, we have to show them how we can make, you know, kind of their dream a reality on our campus and without the people to turn these around. And when you talk about us being uniquely qualified, part of that uniquely qualified is having the staff that can 
uh, show them how we can implement their vision. And I think that is another competitive advantage that we have of being able to, with our staff, of being able to, uh, you know, really lead these efforts. And of course, you know, almost every company that comes here says, how soon can you have our building ready for us? I think <laughs> we're able to do a better job than almost any other airport in saying, here's why we can do it faster. And when, when Boom was talking about where they would be building, we took them over there and said, you see, the bulldozers are already moving dirt. I mean, that's how fast we act. Uh, and I, I'm not exaggerating. We could show them we were moving the dirt. Wow. That's impressive. That's very impressive. You know, a couple of comments. I'm going to let Odell jump in here. One, Chris Dunbar's name come up twice. I know Chris because we started Tried Business Bank together. And that's where I got to meet him. That's a, that's a top top shelf individual. The second thing is that runway that you talk about, how, how long is that like, how long is that runway that you do to run on? The one that the run is done on is 9,000 9, feet long. Yeah. And our other Force, parallel is 10,000. And Air Force One comes in and does a few things in our airport, doesn't it? it? It does. Yeah. We happen to be a good stage length distance away from Washington, D.C., um, where that airplane is, is bedded down. And um, this is a, a great place for them to do touch and goes. This, these are practice approach and departures, basically. The airplane will come in, land, take right back off. It doesn't stop. It just lands and then takes back off. And they'll fly around and, and uh, do that again, and sometimes just 15 or 20 times. It's not only Air Force One. Sometimes it's the 757 that is regularly called uh, Air Force Two. Sometimes it's uh, even smaller aircraft. And we get a lot of military aircraft from various bases around the East Coast that use us for um, touch-and-go work. Yeah, I've seen Air Force One come over my house, and it's very impressive. I love to see it every day when I see it. Yeah, it's really great to welcome these uh, different uh, airplanes to our uh, our facility. And the uh, the abilities that we have at our, at our airport for the airplanes to shoot what they call coupled approaches, um, which basically takes the signals from the ground and sends them up to the plane that guides it um, horizontally and vertically to the runway. Um, I don't think there's any airport that has more advanced facilities for that than we do. So it makes it a, a great place for uh, training because we, we really do have the advanced facilities uh, for that, not only length of runway, but precision approach. Wow, that's amazing. Odell, you've been quiet, that's unusual. You still I'm, I'm just sitting here reflecting, Bill. I'm reflecting on some of the things Paul talked about, but also some of the friends for years that we've been in meetings downtown Greensboro the last 20 years. I reflect and think about the late Ralph Shelton and his vision and all that he did to push the ball down and Henry Isaacson and my good friend and We've had more lunches with Jim Melvin barking at me, telling me about per capita income and how he has to grow the city. It's people like that, Paul, to your point, and Kevin, to your point, who are the visionaries who planted trees that they knew they wouldn't sit and enjoy the shade. They knew that. And Paul, I love what the Governor Cooper said. He said, talking about boom, he said, like the success of the Wright brothers at Kitty Hawk, this innovative company will succeed by transforming passengers' air travel with speed and substantial energy. 
And I think, Bill, about how is this going to affect the domestic flight? Now, I know the good looking black man is going to be, you know, I traveled to Israel three or four times and that's a tough flight. Went to Paris, France, you know, that's a tough flight. But I could see myself sitting in first class. I know, Kevin, that this passenger plane carries everywhere, anywhere from 65 to 88 passengers. So I could see the good looking black man, Paul, sitting in first class and enjoying myself and just going on with it. And four hours later, me and my wife is in Paris. You know, we're at the Arc de Trump trying to get through that whole roundabout. But more importantly, so many people going to benefit because Greensboro was dying at one time. We don't, we don't like to say it, but the city was dying. Downtown Greensboro, it wasn't a ghost town yet, but we kind of lost our way. But leadership, like the gentleman I talked about, and also the both of you all, the two of you all, that made all the difference in the world. So let me ask this question, though. How is this going to change domestic flights? Because like anything, it's always consequences are still consequences, even as unattended consequences. And when I look at North Carolina A&T State University, to the audience, North Carolina A&T State University is a HBCU, Historical Black College and University, Historical Black College and University, and the largest in the country. And they are right in there with you all. You know, that leadership, the chancellor there, the programs, the professors, I love the way you all have reached out and brought everybody into the fold. That's what you all was talking about, not just on a local level, but on a statewide level also. So those are my questions. But the main thing is that, you know, when the founder said his vision, ultimate vision, and I believe in ultimate vision, like you said, now we have a, we could call from a watch at our finger. His ultimate, ultimate vision was you could fly anywhere in the world in four hours for $100. Now, Bill, $100 is good, but I'm going to pay a little more because I want to be in first class. I want to be the good looking black man. I want to be in first class. <laughs> Kevin, help us on the domestic flights. How will this affect domestic flights? Yeah. And, and you know, Adele, if you don't mind, but before I answer that, I, I would, you guys have thanked us a number of times. And I, I really have to underscore that, that there, there are hundreds of people going back decades who need to be thanked mm. um, for, for this. And hundreds of people who were a part of this effort itself. I mean, the, the Piedmont Tribe Partnership, uh, the, the Greensboro Chamber, Frank Christensen and Marvin Price and their team have been just unbelievable uh, in, in terms of, of this win. Um, you know, our, our board members, past and present, the, the staff, past and present, there's just, and, and all those cities and counties who appoint these strong board members. Um, this is, it's a huge team, uh, a multi-generational huge team that makes these kinds of successes possible. So I think it's thanks to a, a, a city of people, three cities of people, really. Um, but with respect to your specific question as to how this is going to impact um, domestic air travel, you know, I, obviously this airplane is going to be manufactured here. Uh, will there be scheduled service on this airplane from here to you know, other points, which would be international. Who knows? That remains to be seen. Um, obviously, the, the goal of this airplane is to serve larger coastal markets, um, you know, and be transatlantic flights mainly. But, you know, what happens in any market, Ted Johnson, my predecessor, um, just an incredible man. And he, he had a saying uh, that he would usually repeat to us pretty often. 
that an airport represents the community, community that it serves. And what that me meant was that as the community grew, the airport would grow. As the community grows, there's more demand for air travel. The airlines are strictly a supply and demand operation. They're not going to fly to places where there's not anybody wants to, where people don't want to go. Uh, but on the other hand, if there are, there are a lot of people who want to fly to some place and they're going to put service in that market. So um, as a community grows and it will grow as a result of these two really big wins that we've had in the, in the community recently, that being the Toyota battery plant at the mega site and then the boom project here, that's 4,000 some odd jobs just from those two announcements. And then when you add to that all of the ancillary uh, spin-off companies that may end up locating here and those who have to travel to and from here to meet with those companies, suppliers, other providers, et cetera, consultants, um, it's going to raise, it's, it's the, the rising tide that will lift all ships and, and our service will increase as a result of it. And really what I'm trying to figure out, how can Bill and myself, when we get called to LA to do some additional work from this podcast, if we can get to Paris in four hours, then it takes four or five hours to get to LA. So we're trying to figure out how we could get to LA and back home quicker. You know, I like, I'm one of these crazy people who love to get on the plane early in the morning, fly to a city, do business all day, get back on the plane and fly back. I know I did that once to Chicago. Now that was the toughest one, flying, getting on the plane in the morning, flying to Chicago, doing business all day, getting back on the plane that evening and flying back. So I like that kind of stuff because I like to be at home when it's any way possible. But when you start thinking about another, I would say, issue here, that's a good one, good problem to have is that diversity. When you start taking the people who are going to be coming to live here to work, different types of skill sets from the boom to Honda Jet, as we know, to the um, battery plant, so much other diversity is going to come in because we're talking about skill set and talent. So our community will get even more diverse. And again, as I stated earlier, and he's still here to for us to give him his flowers, Jim Melvin. I knew it was a lot of other people, but Jim Melvin kind of took me under his wings years ago and explained per capita income, explained Odell, if we win, we all win, you know, all these type of things. And we don't agree on everything. You know, we don't agree on everything, but I respect him and he's taught me so much over the years. So I'm glad that he gets to see his win while he's on this side of glory. You know, and I guess that's what it's all about. Let's plant these trees, Paul, so that we may not benefit. And to Kevin's point, and I know we're thanking both of you all. We understand, audience, we understand it just wasn't these two individuals they represent so much more, but we're just blessed to talk to them today. And let's keep, let's keep, let's keep dreaming. You know, let's keep dreaming. Let's keep visualizing. Let's, let's keep doing the things that people say can't be done. And I think that when you put an environment where people can imagine, Bill, that's the key. You know, so next thing we know, Kevin, um, you remember going to um, when we was talking about Soul Plane. You remember that that movie? I do. Okay, so you know the pilot. We had Snoop Dogg as the pilot, right? As much as we like Snoop Dogg, we don't think we want Snoop Dogg uh, being the pilot of a boom right now. Can we agree on that? 
Snoop is a Steeler fan, so in my in my book, he he can fly any plane out. <laughs> oh man, okay. They I don't take it away, Bill. I didn't know he was a Steeler fan. He's a big Steeler fan. Wow, holy cow, that's that's amazing. And Bill, think about it because what they both said, Kevin said, and Paul said, is so many people came together, and sometimes talking about common ground. A lot of times, people come with their own agenda. And I don't mind that. I just mind when they come and their agenda is a hidden agenda. But obviously, over the years, Kevin, Paul, and so many others, you all found a way to get everyone together, say, guys, if we win, we all win. It's almost like winning a national championship. When you win a national championship, and by the way, Bill, I did win one in college, You, everybody gets a ring, guys. Everybody gets a ring. And when the teams don't play well together, nobody remembers who came in second. You know, Dell. If I could address that, you know, I moved here in 1998, and I think at that time the the triad community was still somewhat fractured in terms of you know operating on their own um, sort of silo mentality. And, and I would give an awful lot of the credit um, for fixing that to the leaders of all the communities, but primarily in the, the Piedmont Tribe Partnership, um, which is you know a melting pot of all of the, the, the whole triad region um, and the leaders thereof, Jim Mellon being one of, being one of the founders, um, uh, it, you know, that group really focused on, um, on, on being one, on being the triad and, and us being able to win, uh, you know, win much bigger projects as a result of it. People like Bobby Long saving the golf tournament, um, Stan Kelly, who leads, who has led it, and now Mike Fox, who, by the way, uh, we haven't mentioned his name yet, but let me tell you, Mike Fox is, is um, he was the linchpin to an awful lot of what's out on this airfield right now. Um, so, you know, he, he's, and he's taken over FPTP. But now you see a completely different triad to me. I mean, you see this cooperation among all of the, the communities and that leads to big wins. There you go. One of the kind of memorable moments for me in the uh, boom uh, courtship, I would say, is I remember having uh, dinner with a few of the executives from boom that were here um, exploring the community. And one of them asked, what, what did we think it would be like for a 20 or 30 something year old person at boom to, to move to this community? And the uh, few of us gave different answers, but I, one of the things that, well, two things really that resonated with me most from that, um, one was the Tanger Center and the ability that the Tanger Center has had to bring uh, cultural events to uh, the triad. And, you know, there were a lot of people that wondered, well, you know, were we going to have uh, empty seats, empty parking lots and, uh, you know, even during COVID, uh, I think we now know the answer is that it's you know been a huge success. So the those who just to add to the list of community visionaries, um, the people that uh, you know fought for Tanger when you know a lot of people were being skeptical of how many people in Greensboro would want to go see you know Wicked. Um, the answer is an awful lot. Yeah. Um, but the other thing I remember from that is I, I remember mentioning that. Uh, and I, I know Bill told me she was a guest on your uh, one of your podcasts was uh, 
I mentioned to them that uh, Rabbi Libby Fisher, um, you know, probably, you know, someone noted as one of the outstanding up and coming young rabbis in America, uh, chose to come live here in Greensboro. Um, I remember mentioning that to, uh, um, you know, in response to that question. So I think our successes kind of, uh, you know, feed off of each other. And the, you know, how does Tanger help the airport be successful? Well, it helps make us a more attractive location uh, for these kind of uh, companies. And, and listen, you know, frankly, North Carolina and particularly, you know, central North Carolina is a great place to live because we're not very far from the mountains. We're not very far from the coast. Uh, we've got a great uh, MSA here in the triad itself, and we're not very far from Raleigh and Charlotte. So to a large extent, when you move to the triad, you have the benefit of Raleigh and Charlotte, um, you know, not very far away. I'm not encouraging you to go to those airports. Uh, fly out of PTI, but it, there are a lot of good restaurants in Charlotte. Yeah. Um, but there are a lot of good restaurants in the triad. But I just think we've got a, a great location kind of being in the in the middle of all of uh, of all of that. I agree with you. You know, uh, you mentioned the Tanger Center for the folks listening. The Tanger Center is our performing arts center. Just we the opening month was the month of March of 2020, which is COVID. And so it sat empty up until recently. But it is a huge success. Holds over 3000 people. Uh, in fact, tonight, my wife and I have date night. We're going to go see Lion King. Uh, so I'm excited to do that. And uh, you're, when we, you're right. When we had uh, Rabbi Libby Fisher on, uh, we asked her, you know, young woman, uh, I, I don't know her age. You don't ask that, but I think she's in her thirties, maybe late twenties. And uh, you know, somebody said, well, what are you going to do in Greensboro? She was, I think she was in Cincinnati, but she uh, had been in Chicago for a number of years, but anyhow, she, she was shocked when she got down here. Uh, how much, how many things she can do. And there's so much to do in the area, not only the cultural things, but we've got mountains nearby. You can go hiking. We've got water rafting, not too far away. So there's plenty of things to do uh, for young people uh, to bring them in and, and, uh, and, and bragging on our city. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Well, Bill, well guys, if you, yeah. see, if you see the good looking black guy in 2026, the good looking black guy, on the supersonic in the jet stream with shades on and a good looking woman sitting next to him in first class. You know who that's going to be, right? Yeah, <laughs> I can see it now. An orange shirt and a little hat and some going to Paris, 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 baby. I'm going to Paris in four hours. So I'm good. I'm yeah, good. Yeah. I hear you. Well, we're, we're going to go to Paris in September with our wives. So we're going to be busy doing right. that. Yeah. Listen, we're near the end and uh, we like our guests to talk about, you know, where they find common ground. So this is your opportunity to share that with us. And anything else you want to add before we close the show up? First of all, thank you very much for having us. This is uh, this has been fun to do. And uh, it's always good to brag on the airport. And uh, uh, you guys have made this fun. Um, you know, finding common ground is something that's uh, important to me. And I think you accomplish it by listening to many opinions. And to see from a decision-making standpoint, those who are willing to solicit and hear multiple opinions before making a decision uh, will always end up, almost always end up 
with a better decision than one made unilaterally, even from, you know, the most intelligent person will benefit from gathering other opinions. And the, the PTI governance model really lends to that because we have a, a system where we uh, bring in the opinions from you know, High Point and Winston and Forsyth and Guilford and Greensboro and meld those together um, for, uh, you know, for, for building our regional model. And I, frankly, I, I see that work in community associations we manage. Those who uh, get more opinions, uh, you know, end up making better decisions than those that are led unilaterally. And I think you, you see it at all levels of decision-making. So I would, I would say you, you find common ground by listening and being accepting of other opinions and, you know, hearing people out before you decide. I think that works at all, uh, all levels. And I'm glad you asked because uh, those who know me know that's one of my, my favorite things to talk about is getting a lot of different opinions before making decisions. Well said, Paul. Well said. Thank you for sharing that. Kevin? Yeah, I, I mean, clearly I've made the last 12 years or more, I guess now, uh, the airport, my, my way of finding common ground. Um, <laughs> but, you know, r- really to me, uh, and this was something that was instilled uh, in me by my parents, is a sense of community and, and being involved and in giving back to your community. Um, I've been involved in a whole bunch of different organizations in the area. Greensboro Science Center, probably one of the longest ones, the GTCC and um, a number of other uh, different, you know, community boards and so forth. And you you get to meet people of all backgrounds. You get to interact. Paul's exactly right that, you know, learning to listen to a broad group of of ideas uh, leads to a better solution always. He's, a, he's dead on with that. And he, he is one of the best at it, by the way. He always guides the airport and, and me um, in that direction. But I, I think that, you know, it, it's so important for each of us to figure out where it is and what it is that we can do to give back to the community. Uh, we're all fortunate in one way or another, and we all, all therefore need to be giving some of that back, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Um, and there are a lot of places. I, I am amazed. Because uh, this is this is something again that came from my parents. So this is something I did. I was involved in, in in Pittsburgh before I moved here as well. But but this community is so giving and so philanthropic in its in its nature, uh, like none I've ever been in before. And that that is a really cool part of our community. And I would urge everyone to to find your place to be able to to give back. Oh man, Kevin, well said. And you are right about this is a giving community. Uh, I've lived in a lot of cities and uh, I've never seen anything like this for the size of this community and how people get involved and willing to help out. And, uh, and, you know, it's, it's the silos are breaking down. And one of the reasons I think is because people are finding common ground when they see successes with boom and the battery plant and Honda and Volvo and Mack truck and, you know, FedEx and I mean, go on and on. And, we're starting to see that synergy going. So, fellas, we really appreciate you being on the podcast. It's been our pleasure, our honor to have you take an hour out of your busy day to be here with us. We really appreciate it. Our pleasure, too. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Find Bill and Odell online at thecommonground.show. 
This podcast is a production of BG Ad Group. Darren Sutherland, Executive Producer. Jeremy Powell, Creative Director. Jacob Sutherland, Director. All rights reserved. This podcast is proudly sponsored by... Whether you're a big, medium, or small business, managing and growing the bottom line is important. Focus CFO brings the experience and financial acumen of a Fortune 100 chief financial officer to your company at a fraction of the cost. PNL help, internal reporting processes, or any business transitions or events. Focus CFO will help you and your team have a CFO in your company's back pocket. Focus CFO. Learn more at focuscfo.com. This podcast is brought to you by Yes Weekly, the triad's largest circulated and best read weekly magazine. You can also find us online at yesweekly.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yes Weekly, your trusted news leader for local arts, entertainment, music, food, and more for nearly 18 years.